Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are watching right now. Today is the day that we, of course, circle on our calendars every day to honor motherhood. And it's a big day, and rightfully so. But this year, of course, we don't get to do the big things that we're used to doing. And that's because the stay-at-home orders have made all of our days a lot smaller. No more large gatherings to celebrate and to honor. But we all understand that being a mother never was about a big day like Mother's Day. It's always been about the daily sacrifices that mothers make when no one is looking and no one is honoring them. It's always been about the small days. And so in this season of small days, we're looking at the importance and the power of these small days. Small days contain two very important opportunities, two powers. First, they have the power to set direction, to do God's will. Every day we wake up, we get the chance to decide What's the direction of this day going to be? Am I going to do what God wants me to do or not? That's a powerful opportunity. The second power resonant in every day is the power to make progress. Once we've set direction, now we get to make progress in that direction. Every day that we live advances us, moves us in some direction, either a good direction or a bad direction. Now, we tend to squander the power that's available in these small days for two reasons. The first reason is we get distracted. By something, and, and we begin to pursue what is unimportant. And that affects the power to make the right decisions. That, that affects our direction. We get distracted by something else. The second way we get off track is, is we get discouraged by something that's happening in this day. And we stop moving. We stop making progress in the right direction. So God has given us a daily checklist in the Bible to, to help us stay on track, to keep the direction in focus, and to make progress in the right direction. And these are verses in the Bible that tell us what to do daily. Today we turn our attention to the distraction of selfishness, and therefore the daily need to decide to sacrifice. We wake up every single morning with our internal compass set on what we want out of the day. Now this self-focus has the same kind of effect on us that a magnet has on a compass. You bring a magnet close to a compass, and it makes the needle spin in all different directions. And that's because the closer but far less powerful magnet is keeping the compass needle from pointing to the more distant but more powerful magnetic north pole. Now, we were created to direct our lives by what God wants us to do and what he says. In a sense, he is the magnetic north pole for our souls. But the magnet of our selfishness, when brought close to us, makes our internal compass kind of spin in all different directions. And it causes our lives to kind of go in circles, and we get lost, and we end up not really arriving at any important destinations in life. And that's because we need a reference point that's bigger than us in order to set the direction in life and turn our small days into a life that really counts, that really matters. We need direction from God. But that doesn't just happen when we decide to set the compass, our internal compass, towards God. We have to say no to our selfishness on a daily basis. And that's because no matter how much we sacrifice today, we will wake up tomorrow with the magnet of our selfishness next to the compass of our soul. Selfishness is hardwired into us. It's the natural orientation we have every single day. Now, mothers, I think are probably our greatest example of the sacrifices that are being made, of, being, of living in an unselfish life. But even mothers struggle with selfishness. 
So Jesus gave us a daily reset statement, kind of a reset button on the selfishness and the call to sacrifice to replace selfishness. Here's what he says in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If we want Jesus to be the magnetic North Pole, the one who sets the direction for our life and our compass, then we will have to deny ourselves like he did. We will have to make the kinds of decisions that Jesus made when he picked up that cross 2,000 years ago and carried it to his own execution. Jesus made five decisions of self-denial, of sacrifice, that put him on that cross. Years ago, I developed an acrostic that spells the word cross to help me remember these daily decisions of sacrifice. And I often think through this acrostic, these five decisions, first thing in the morning, to set my expectations to sacrifice for the day and and take me away from my natural selfishness. So I want to go through these five with you today. Five decisions that spell the acrostic cross. The first decision, the letter C, stands for the combat decision. The combat decision. Jesus picked up that cross because he was fighting the invisible power of evil in this world. It was a combat decision. Right now, our common enemy, of course, is the coronavirus. And it's getting harder and harder for people in our country and around the world to make the sacrifices that this threat represents because we can't see the virus. Now, we hear about people dying from the virus, but people obviously die every day around this world. And if we don't know anyone who's been personally impacted or who has lost their life because of this virus, it makes it really hard for us to personally sacrifice for an enemy that we can't see. Now, we, of course, face a much bigger threat than this virus, and that is the threat of evil. Like the virus, evil is unseen. We can't see it. We can see what it does, but we often can't see it until the damage is done. Now, we don't need, of course, to be tested to see if there's any evil in our hearts. We have all been infected by evil. And the danger of evil is the fact that Not only it takes our lives, but it can take our eternal lives as well. It separates us from a holy God for all of eternity. And evil can't be wished away. It can't be thought away. Science will not be able to develop a vaccine against evil. It must be defeated with personal sacrifice. And Jesus was the one who put down the first sacrifice to defeat evil. He came to earth to abolish evil. Now, he wasn't after evil people. He was after the source, the instigator of all evil, and that is Satan himself. Jesus went to the cross to defeat Satan's weapon of mass destruction, which is sin and the eternal death that it causes. Now he invites us to join him in this ongoing invisible battle against evil. This is what we read in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we struggle in life, there is both a visible component and an invisible component to every struggle. There is the obvious struggle that we can see, that we can perceive, the visible struggle. It may be the person that we are struggling with or the situation that we are struggling through. But there is always an invisible struggle that is part of that visible struggle. 
what we are thinking, what we are feeling, and what we are deciding. And this invisible struggle is not just inside our own heads and in our own hearts. We have an invisible enemy, this says, that seeks to influence what we think, what we feel, and therefore what we decide. Satan and his vast army is at work trying to get us to turn away from God, either by rejecting him or, at a minimum, keeping us from really trusting him in the middle of the struggle that we're facing. Now, we can't stay out of this struggle. The only question is whether we are aware of this invisible struggle or not. If you decide to follow Jesus Christ, in a sense, you have painted a target on your back. You have left civilian life. You have declared your allegiance in this invisible battle. Now, when you leave civilian life, your perspective changes. Civilian life is primarily about your comfort, your goals, your agendas, what you want. But being a soldier is very different. Being a soldier is about sacrificing for the larger mission, the larger cause. So this is what it says to followers of Christ in 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. It says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. We wake up most mornings in a civilian frame of mind because visibly we are civilians. We look out and it doesn't look like there's a war raging. The sun is shining, the birds are chirping, everything looks fine. And then we encounter a setback or we encounter a hardship or we get into a conflict and we're shocked. We don't think this is the way our day should be going. And that's because we don't realize that there is a war raging, an invisible war raging all around us. And that's why we get mad or we get discouraged because we're thinking like civilians. We're thinking that there should be peace everywhere when in fact it's not peaceful. How do civilians think? Well, like I said, their agenda, what, what do I want? But soldiers, they wake up in a different frame of mind. They are not shocked when bad things happen and when setbacks occur and when struggle is true of, of their day because, well, they're at war. They understand war is a nasty business. They expect things to be difficult because they're in a conflict. The question, the number one question a soldier has every day is, what are my orders? So in this first decision, a combat decision, we wake up and we, we set our expectations correctly. We would like to have a good day. We would like things to go peaceful, but we realize there's this invisible war. And so if things turn dark, we understand that's why. And our key question of the day is, what does God want me to do? What are my orders today? That's the first decision. The second decision is the letter R. That stands for the rejoice decision. Selfish people are only happy when they get their way, when they get what they want. And what that means is they're not happy very often. Their joy is limited. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we wake up most mornings and feel whatever emotion we feel based on the circumstances that are surrounding us, the circumstances that we're facing. But on the very worst day of his life, it says Jesus set his eyes on the joy that was set before him, the joy that was in the future. Now, he, of course, did not enjoy the cross. No one would. But he was able to endure the cross because he knew there was joy in the future. It was set before him. There was a future joy. 
And in the same way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is joy in your future. So rejoice. Approach this new day with an upbeat attitude, not because the day itself is free of conflict, but because you are one day closer to that ultimate day of joy. And you're not just passing time waiting for this future joy. There are important things and opportunities in this day. Here's what we read in Psalm 118, 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Days don't just happen. We've lived so many days, we kind of just take them for granted. But what this says is days are made. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Every single day is made by God. And so if we wake up tomorrow morning, it's because God has decided to make at least one more day. Now, why would God make a day? It's because he has a purpose for that day, and he has a purpose for us in that day. Now, time can march on without you, without me. So if we wake up in this new day that God has decided to make, it's because God has decided to keep us alive for another day. Now, why would God want you and me alive for yet another day? It's because he has something for us to do today. We are not victims of this day. This is not just another day and a long nine of days. This is a day that God has made. There is an intent behind it. There is purpose behind it. And we have the opportunity of a lifetime to make an investment in what God wants us to do today. So we rejoice as we begin each day. The third decision as we start each day is the opportunity decision. Jesus had one chance to pick up that cross. It was on that particular day. If he had decided not to pick up that cross, then he would not have gone to the cross. And like Jesus, every single day, there are unique opportunities for us to sacrifice, to pick up our own daily cross. And if we're not looking for these opportunities, if we're not positioning ourselves in our mind to be ready to sacrifice, we're going to miss these opportunities. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, we read this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It says these days are evil, not just occasionally, but every day is evil. Now, this is not saying that every day is a bad day. Personally, you know, we can have plenty of good days in this life. But what it's saying is that in the middle of our days, whether they're good or bad, there, there is a direction to all the days of time. In a sense, it's saying that we're all in a river with a current that is moving in an evil direction. And each day that we decide just to float takes us further from God. Let me show you a picture of some individuals on boats having fun in a river. This is kind of a normal scene you'd, you'd see on a, on a fun day. The name of this river is the Niagara River. Now, 10 miles downstream from this state park, the Niagara River becomes the Niagara Falls, and it looks very differently. Now, you can have a good day playing upstream on the Niagara River, but the current is moving you closer to the falls, closer to death. And this is the way the flow of time is with us. We can have good days and we can have bad days, but the current is moving us closer to death. The current is evil. Time is not our friend. And every day that we float, we are floating away from God and moving closer to the falls. And the longer that we float, the swifter the current tends to get. 
This is why it's unwise to, to squander our days, to just float and go along with the current. It is wise, as it says on the other hand, to decide to make the most of the opportunities that are embedded in every single day. That requires us to push against the current, primarily against the current of our selfish and sinful hearts. Now, daily opportunities tend to come in two forms. There are the opportunities that we take out of each day, and there are the opportunities that are given to us and we decide to accept them or reject them. Taken opportunities is the time that we carve out of each day to move against the current and toward God. For example, it's the time to read the Bible. We take the time to read the Bible. Or as we talked about last week, we take the time out of the day to pray. Or we take the time to invest and love people. This, as I said, is the time that we carve out of every day. We take it. Once the day passes, we don't get the opportunity that the time of the previous day gave us. So if we don't pray yesterday, we can't go back and pray yesterday. We can pray today, but we've lost that opportunity from that day. Now, given opportunity is a little different. That's when God decides to send opportunities our way and to give us a chance to to move against the current of the day. It's kind of like the boats in that Niagara River that come by and, and offer help and power for us to move against the current. And either we accept these opportunities that are, are coming our way in the current of the day, or we let them just float away and we don't take advantage of them. These are things like opportunities to learn something important and new. Opportunities maybe to build connections or relationships with people, like we do in our growth groups. Opportunities like this to, to worship on Sunday. Now, opportunities, whether they're taken opportunities or given opportunities, they always require a price. You must deny yourself to take advantage of these opportunities. It may be deny some sleep. It may be deny just some goof-off time, some downtime. It may actually cost you some money to take advantage of some opportunities. Now, for Jesus, the opportunity came at the price of his life. He picked up the cross and died on that cross. Now he invites us to follow him and pick up our smaller daily crosses. The fourth decision is the sin decision. The letter S here stands for sin, sin decision. Now, sin is why Jesus went to the cross. And so to follow him implies that we will take sin seriously. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, the great cloud of witnesses that this verse is talking about was listed in the previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, their days had come and gone. They no longer had a small day opportunity. They were dead. Now, we now currently are the ones on the stage of time. We have today, and we may have tomorrow and many more days after that. And all of the ones who have gone before us are now observing us. They're in heaven, and they're, they're watching how we spend our days. They are this great cloud of witnesses. And it says, because of this, don't let sin entangle you today. Now, we tend to think of sin maybe like a rock on the path where we, we trip over it, maybe we stumble, maybe we fall and we have to get back up. But what this is saying is sin entangles us. So that means sin is 
kind of more like a rope net that we step into, not just a rock that we get tripped on. It gets us into a tangled mess, and it's hard to get our feet out of it. It snares us and traps us. We tend to think of it as just a single decision, but it's a decision that usually has a lot more implications than just a moment. So how do we untangle ourselves daily from the sin? Well, we confess our sin to God and to those that we've wronged. Now, how often should we do this? How often should we confess our sin? Well, it says we are to do this with perseverance. We are to run this race with perseverance. So for me, that means at least daily. So one of the things I do as I work through this list is I, I think through, you know, I say, God, what, what sin do I need to confess to you from the past 24 hours? To you, to someone else? Is there something I need to do to clear up this relationship? And we do that every 24 hours. The last decision is the servant decision. COVID-19 has brought with it a lot of new language. Phrases like social distancing and the PPP loan and senior shopping hour. And one of the phrases that has gotten a lot of discussion and attention is the phrase essential worker. Back on March 19th, a government agency that I'd never heard of, it's called the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. That agency published back on March 19th a list of 16 essential industries that were needed to stay open during this pandemic. Now, that list then became a reference point for states and for counties and for cities as they crafted their various stay-at-home orders. Now, since then, all kinds of industries have made the argument that they too are essential and need to open back up. So this list keeps expanding. In fact, I finally made the list two weeks ago. I was a non-essential worker until two weeks ago when this agency for I don't understand why, but they added pastors to their ever-growing list of what is now essential in this country. Now, essential has been determined by how important the service or the product is for public safety. Now, at first, the list contains some pretty obvious workers like police and fire and medical and grocery workers and some less obvious ones like dry cleaners. Now, God's list of essential worker is not complicated. It's not a long list. It only has one qualifier, and that is servant. It is an essential element of what God says is essential work, because until we decide to be a servant of God, our life is really no bigger than just us. Now, this decision to be a servant of God changes our expectation on the day. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, tells a parable, a story, about what servants like us can expect as we move through our daily life. Here's what he says in the parable, Luke 17, 7 through 10. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant? because he did what he was told to do. Maybe, probably not. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this story has personally really challenged me in terms of my expectations on the day because it identifies three expectations of a servant that are very different than what I tend to expect on a given day. 
These are the three expectations that come out of this story. The first expectation is we can expect to work. I can expect to work hard today. This is part of the servant decision. Now, after I've, exp- I've worked really hard, I usually can expect to continue to work hard. That's because I may be leaving one kind of work, but let's say I'm coming home, and marriage is always work. It's a lot of joy, but marriage you can't coast, and you've got to do that work. If you've got kids at home, the work still needs to be done. So what we tend to do is think, I'm going to work really hard, and then it's me time. And that's usually when we get stuck. Because, like Jesus says, when you come in from the field, there's probably still some more work to be done. So we need to set our expectations and say, you know, I I can expect to work really hard today. The second expectation is approval. I can expect no one to thank me. Now, maybe they will. It says, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Maybe. But if he doesn't thank the servant, that doesn't mean the servant is, gets to be all upset. That's what happens sometimes with servants. So oftentimes I get in trouble because I've done something and I think it's really helpful and I, and I want to be thanked. And I start sending out you know, the, the attempts to be thanked and the thank doesn't come back as much as I think it should. And then I get bothered. It's because I, I have forgotten that I'm a servant. The last expectation Jesus talks about in this parable is the fairness expectation. What this is saying is, if you're a servant, you can expect life to feel unfair. It says, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. You know, we feel like we are worthy of being served when, in fact, the greatest privilege of life is to serve God. And we serve God not because we are worthy of that, but because he has made us worthy in Christ to be a part of what he's doing. And so as we serve him... It's the greatest privilege of our, of our life. That's a different expectation. So there's a couple of next steps that I would encourage you to take this week to apply what we've been talking about, this acrostic. First of all, I would encourage you to memorize this key verse, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So memorize that verse. Maybe just read through it several times this week and begin to memorize it. And then I would encourage you to use this cross acrostic maybe five times at least this week. And what I mean by that is get up in the morning and think through, pull out these notes and think through this acrostic. Begin with the combat decision and say, Father, today it's not about my comfort, but about advancing your mission. Mission. I want to set aside my civilian mindset and be on mission for you. The rejoice decision. I will approach today with an upbeat attitude because well, I'm alive, and therefore you have a purpose for me today. The opportunities decision, I'll approach today with my eyes wide open. I know that today is full of both dangers and tremendous opportunities. Help me to see both the dangers and the opportunities in this day. And then the sin decision, I will confess the sin of my past 24 hours, both to you, God, and to those that I've wronged, and I will seek to make it right. And then the servant decision, I will lower the expectations of what I think I deserve to fit into my position as your servant. I stand ready to serve you today. And even if I'm not thanked, I know that you're pleased. And then I finish by saying amen and then move on with the day. So I'd encourage you to do that five times uh, this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for how your word gives us the perspective that we need. Our hearts are just hardwired towards selfishness. 
we recognize that we wake up every day not deciding that we want to take up our cross and sacrifice and follow you, but we have expectations of how we think the day should go and how people should treat us and how life should treat us. And we end up getting very frustrated and very discouraged, very angry, because it turns out that life doesn't bend to our will. And that's because we were created to have the compass setting of our life set on you, not on our own selfish desires. So I pray this particular week as we wake up in the morning that you would help us to set our hearts on on the opportunities that you've given us. You would help us to make the most of these days and to set our expectations correctly as we begin these days. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.